Questions of a Skeptic. Have you guys enjoyed the series so far? Oh, I, I guess not really. It's been a tough series. All right, all right. It's, I mean, it's not kind of the series where you go, oh, that's so awesome. But, but I hope that you're really digging deeper and, and really diving into some of these tough questions that we've been dealing uh, with. And, and so I also want you to know next week we're going to be doing more of um, I don't want to say rapid fire, we're going to take multiple questions and just try to give some quicker answers, some shorter answers to some of the questions on cards that you have submitted. So if there's still a question you might want to try to get in, feel free to write that on the back of your envelope and drop that in the boxes as you leave. And, and we probably won't be, able to, we won't be able to get to all of them, but we might be able to group some together and, and maybe address some of those questions. So let us know what those questions are. Well, today we're dealing with a tough question and, and one that's on the minds, I think, of a lot of people these days, and, and sometimes there's a lot of tension in and around this question. And, and the question is this, what do we do with Kim Jong-un and North Korea? No, all right, no, that's not the question. That's not the question. That was an attempt at some uh, uh, relief here. The, the, the question that we're looking at is, if two people love each other, what does it matter if they're gay? If two people love each other, what does it matter if they're gay? And this is one of these questions that is really around us. It's in society, and it might be asked in a number of different ways and, and, what do, and, and deals with all kinds of topics in and around this particular matter, in and around this to particular topic. And, and the questions of the skeptic, and what's behind that question many times is, I think that's not always spoken, but what is by some is, why is the church so hateful? Why are Christians homophobic? What is the Bible? Is it backwards? Are we on the wrong side of history? Is the church on the wrong side of, of history on this matter? Aren't things changing? And so how do we deal with that? Is, is this is where culture and society is going, and is the church backwards? And, and that makes me skeptical of what I should believe and how I should approach God and how I should approach Scripture. And so today we need to wrestle with this. I remember um, a few years ago, I mean, every time there's a, a major like Supreme Court decision or a state law, uh, social media begins to light up around this topic. And if you remember a few years ago, uh, many people began to change their, their, their Facebook profile image to an equal sign. And all of a sudden, within a matter of days, uh, social media was just lighting up with that. And one of my observations, and, and, and most of my, my friends on, on Facebook are probably from the Christian community, although there's many across the board, but, but what I noticed even among the, the Christian community was two things. Some found a voice, and all of a sudden they made that their profile picture and began to really advocate strongly and, 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 and kind of took that direction, which was a surprise to some. And then what I found on the other side wasn't people speaking against it, but was a strange silence a mutedness, a way of saying, I don't know how to respond to this. So even within the Christian community, I'm seeing a great divide on this particular topic and on this issue. And so as this topic is around us, and, and this is, you know, it's easy to leave this as a topic maybe in, in theoretical sense or in a philosophical sense, but once you begin to know people, and if you know people, if you have friends or family members who are wrestling with this very issue, it's not just the theological, philosophical issue, it's a very personal, emotional, real issue. And so today, we're going to try to unpack some of that, but when we, when we think about this, when I think about this as a pastor and say, how do we address this? Who do we listen to? There are so many voices out there. Is it the politicians who are going to tell us how to view this? What do we base our, our, our views on? Is it Hollywood? Is it Oprah? Is it Phil or whoever is out there now trying to, trying to tell us the, the right way to look at these issues? Do we deal with it in our gut? Is it our conscience? What, what is the correct way of looking at this? Is it traditional values? Is it culture? Is it history? 
Where do we go looking for truth? Where do we look for answers? And, and we are gathered here this morning, whether you realize it or not, in a church. <laughs> and we're here in a place where, where we, every Sunday, we look at God's word. And we look to God's word, we look to scripture as a source for guidance in every single area of our lives. And as a pastor, I feel the need that we need to talk about these tough issues. I would much rather avoid it like many do and just say, let's just not talk about difficult topics and let's just, just kumbaya around some things. But these are the issues that we're dealing with. And so we can speak into it, but with confidence, knowing that God's word addresses every situation. And so we're going to turn our hearts, we're going to turn to God's word. And, and, and as I dive into this topic, um, I really ask as we pray, as I do every week when we, when we preach, before we approach God's word, is for us to really humble ourselves before God and to have his spirit really speak to us this morning, to create an environment where we can listen, where we can hear, and be open to God's spirit. Let's do that together. Heavenly Father, we've been wrestling with tough topics, and yet, Jesus, you never shied away from the difficult issues of your day and of the day. And God, your word continues to speak today as it has for centuries and give guidance and light. And this morning, would you shine light on us? And Father, as we wrestle through difficult issues and, and as we sometimes fall, as we do as a community, as a culture, on, uh, and land in different places, God, help us to engage one another in helpful ways and in ways that seek your truth and your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today I'm going to look at a passage. As I deal with this topic, there are many scriptures and um, many different topics, that many different ways to look at this, but I'm going to look at a particular story in John chapter 8. And this story is going to create the backdrop for, I think, how we can approach this issue. And it's Jesus, in many ways, approaching a very similar issue. And in John chapter 8, what we have is Jesus gathering at the temple. He's at the temple, so he's in a, in a religious institution. And he's gathered there and he's teaching. So in some ways, we can kind of superimpose this situation. Now, I'm not Jesus. I'm far from Jesus, but I'm teaching on behalf of Christ. And, and we're in this place. You've gathered to hear. Jesus was teaching. People, the crowd was gathered around. The crowd was people from the community, people that had all different kinds of viewpoints and understandings, but they were drawn to Jesus and his teaching. And so there was the crowd. Jesus was teaching the things that he, te you know, that what, that he was teaching, love and kindness and repentance and, and the kingdom of heaven and whatever it is that he was teaching was happening. And in the middle of his teaching, all of a sudden the doors fling open or the gates fling open in the temple and here come the religious leaders, the teachers of the law. These guys you knew when they were walking in, they had these, these ornate robes and tassels and hats and all kinds of things. No doubt these guys were the religious gurus. They knew the letter of the law. In this case, let's say today, it was our staff, okay, the closest we have, right? But they don't dress any different than anyone else. But imagine right now, they busted through these doors, and in that case, in Jesus' time, the temple, the Pharisees came in, and they brought a woman in front of Jesus. And they said, Jesus, she was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? So imagine this scene. Imagine right now, we're in the middle of teaching, and all of a sudden, the back doors open up, and because we're talking about this topic of homosexuality, there comes a couple. And our staff brings them up here and says, they were caught in the act. No doubt about it. And, and, and we know what scripture says. They ought to be stoned to death. They ought to be killed. They ought to be ostracized or whatever they would say. And all of a sudden, we'd be sitting here going, oh boy. <laughs> pretty awkward, wouldn't it be? Pretty, pretty tense situation. And Jesus finds himself in this incre incredibly intense environment. The public is gathered in a public space. The temple was considered a public uh, uh, square, a public sphere where they were gathering in the courts. And this is much like this. 
So the crowd is there listening. You've got them on one side and, and listening in. You've got Jesus there in the middle. You've got the, the religious folks that, that have found an issue and they're going to beat that drum and they've, made, they've got a case now in hand. They don't see a woman, but they see now an issue that they can bring in front of Jesus and they try to trap him, as Scripture says. And so they ask him this question and, and Jesus is caught in this incredibly intense environment. Can you relate at all? Bring up this topic in different settings. Have conversation about that. Open a social media thread and see what happens. It's tense around it. There's many different uh, uh, opinions and viewpoints. And so they bring, they bring this, this lady to Jesus. And why do they bring him? They say, the law of Moses says to stone her. Now, what does this have to do with our topic today? Well, where does that come from? The law of Moses, as found in, in, in the Old Testament, in the first several books, and in Leviticus, we have a couple of passages in, in chapter 18 and 20. That says if, if anyone is caught in the act of adultery, they need to be stoned to death. It was a way of keeping purity in that community. It was a way of making sure that we understood how highly God values sexual purity in the right context. And, and these passages outline all different kinds of sexual relationships that are not appropriate. And that the punishment for which is death. And if you continue reading in some of these in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20, you'll also see that anyone that practices homosexuality. If they are practicing in that way, they should be stoned to death. And so this is a very similar scenario, except in this case, it was a woman caught in the act of adultery. And so the law of Moses clearly says they ought to be killed. And now they're saying to Jesus, what do you say? Now I ask the question again, who do we ask for how to handle a situation like this? At least they brought this lady and they brought this question to Jesus. They brought it to the right person. We need to hear, Jesus, what do you say? What should we do in this situation? You know, the, the law is clear. This is sin, and because it's truth, it equals stoning. This is what we need to do. And then it says they tried to trap him. Do you ever feel trapped by this question? Not really knowing a way out. Maybe how do we handle this? Or maybe you don't feel that way. But in this case, they wanted to trap Jesus because what they understood in this situation, that if Jesus is against her, if Jesus sides with, with the law, then he's going to deny grace. He's going to deny all those things that he had taught about. If they bring a couple in here, and we as a church decide, or individuals or Christians decide, to, to go and be against them and say, yes, we need to, to leverage the full extent of the law, then what is all the stuff you're talking about? Grace and love. You're homophobic. You're afraid. You're old school. Get with the times. It's a trap. But on the other side, right, if he is for her, and if Jesus embraces her and he, he protects her and, 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 and says, no, no, you can't stone her, now all of a sudden, Jesus himself is denying the truth, the very truth that he said he's fulfilled. And if we start making different rules and different laws for one group or another, maybe as believers, then, then well, what else are you going to throw out? And we feel trapped in this, in this dilemma, and that's the very dilemma Jesus is, is brought before Jesus, and they wanted to trap him in that. And so imagine again the hostility, the, tense, the tenseness. Here's this broken woman. Imagine being humiliated, shamed, dragged into the public square. Your sins laid bare. The things that you've done just exposed to everyone. How embarrassing, how shameful, how hurtful, how broken she must have been. I'm not even sure if she was able to stand there, if she just fell to the ground, what the situation was. But in this moment, Jesus, what do you say? The law says to stoner, what do you say? You know what Jesus does? He says he just starts writing in the ground. He 
He's not succumbing to the pressure. He's not coming to, succumbing to the demand of what everyone else wants. He's, I think he's de-escalating the situation, the tensity. He's maybe just processing and thinking. Maybe, maybe the woman's next to him. Maybe he, he wrote something in the ground and we don't know. Maybe a little message to her. We don't know what he did. But he just remained calm. Scripture says they demanded an answer. Jesus, tell us, what do we do in this situation? What do you say we need to do in that situation? And they kept asking and they kept pushing. And so Jesus gets up and he says, all right, stone her. All right, that's what the law says. Stone her. But then he adds this caveat. But let the one who has no sin throw the first stone. That's tweetable. In a little tweetable phrase, back hundreds of years ago, Jesus speaks into this dilemma with one phrase. And I want to unpack that a little bit because this is powerful. All right, stone her. He's not denying the truth. As a matter of fact, he is upholding the law. He is very much saying and acknowledging the law and the truth that was there in Leviticus, the same law that today is often used and quoted as clobber passages that, uh, that are used by Scripture to, to, to bash people on the head with their sexual indiscretions and homosexuality. Those very laws Jesus upholds by saying, all right, stone her, because he says, this is truth. This is true. Now, we might say, well, what is truth today? What is truth in this matter? I mean, we're not obviously killing people anymore for that, and that's Old Testament. Well, let's just look at Scripture, because we have to wrestle with God's Word as the people of God. So what, and if we hold to Scripture as truth, then look at a couple of these passages. I'm just going to let the passages speak for themselves. One is Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. Romans chapter 1, 24 to 27. So it says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And it says, and, they, and, and the men, instead of, let's see, and that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with, with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of the sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Verse 32, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. Seems pretty, pretty straightforward, pretty, pretty strong words. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. There's a whole section here, a whole passage uh, that, that goes, goes through this. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? So those who do wrong, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then here's this list. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or are greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So the law and the scriptures... They seem to be clear in the Old Testament. They seem to be clear in the New Testament. And this is what creates this tension because it seems to collide with what our culture and what our world is saying in this very matter. Now, some say, well, well what about Jesus? 
Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Show me a passage where Jesus condemns homosexuality. And you know what? I can't point to a single passage where Jesus explicitly condemns homosexuality. But I can point to passages where Jesus talks about the right relationship between male and female. He was asked about marriage. He was asked about divorce in, in, in Matthew chapter 19. And what he does, he, he refers Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6. He, he goes back to the beginning. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? In the beginning, God made the male and female. And that is why the man will leave his mother and father and will be united in his, to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And he comes back to that as a foundation, acknowledging that from the dawn of creation, from the created order, and the way that God has done this, he affirmed that. And so what Jesus does and what truth is in Scripture, as we begin at this point here, is taking a circle, and we're going to make this very simple. God made it very simple, and he made it very clear. Within this circle, as we talk about sexual intimacy and relationships and ethics, I'm going to make it very simple. Within this circle, it is husband and wife, male and female, united in marriage. Within that circle, full expression is permitted, is encouraged, is celebrated, is what it was created for. Anything outside of that circle falls outside of truth and falls into the realm of sin, of disobedience to God's plan, to God's design. And so when we think about all the things that could fall within that circle, all the things that fall outside of it, it's so easy, and, 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 and it's so easy for us right now to, to, to laser in on homosexuality. You know, it's one of dozens of things that fall outside of that circle. As a matter of fact, as we represent the community in different ways and have different pasts and histories and, and whatnot, I bet you many, many, many of us have experienced things that fall outside of that circle, as would be the case with homosexuality in this case. Teenagers who decide to have sex outside of before marriage fall into that circle. Extramarital affairs, college students just hooking up, adults using apps to find somebody in their neighborhood to sleep around with, divorcees, widows, and widowers who decide to have a little thing here and there because, you know, well, they already lost virginity at one point now. You know, what I hear about what happens in Sun City and some of the retirement communities, you've heard it, it's crazy. <laughs> Falls outside of that circle. You know what else falls outside that circle? Incest, rape, prostitution, cohabitation, pedophilia, homosexuality, LGBTQXYZ. The circle is very narrow. It's why it's easy for me to answer this question because God defined it very clearly. And, and, and you might say, well, why is this so restrictive? Well, you know what else falls outside that circle? Lust, Jesus said. If you've just... Committed, if you looked at a woman lustfully, you looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And you go, man, this is, this is ridiculous. This is restrictive. I mean, this is like going back to the dark ages. This is 2016. This is why there's skepticism. This is why there's struggle. But you know what? Why is God so restrictive in this? You can either see it as restrictive or you could see it as freeing. Incredibly freeing. As I have counseled and talked with with, with, with uh, high school students and college students and couples, married, single, uh, gay, lesbian, I have talked with them all. You know what? Anything outside of that circle, it generally doesn't work very well. It doesn't lead to the fullness of life. It doesn't lead to healing. It doesn't lead to God's best. Now, just because you're married and you're within that circle doesn't mean it's all going to be, you know, roses either. You need to work on that relationship, and that's a whole other series. 
But there's freedom that's found in that, and anything outside of that does not lead to what God has planned and designed for us and the way he has created us. God values highly our sexual identity and who we are and how we understand each other, but that within that circle, there's a beautiful expression that, that comes together when two become one in that way, and Jesus affirmed that truth. Sin, anything outside of that circle, and we don't like to use that word anymore today, I don't know why not. Because we're all sinners. We all struggle. We all have those things. But that's anything that keeps us from God, from God's best for us. And so outside that circle, we look at that, but it's a shortcut. Anything outside that circle is a shortcut to some kind of feeling, to some kind of satisfaction, to some kind of fulfillment. That will not come outside of the union that that God created and designed this world to experience. So that is the truth, and Jesus upholds the truth, and he looks at the scriptures, and he says, the scriptures are true, and the scriptures do demand stoning, so all right, he says, stone her. But then this phrase, this phrase, but let those who have never sinned throw the first stones. And Jesus now seems to go on another direction, because now it's like he he just affirmed truth, but now there seems to be this, this radical grace that's being displayed. Let those of you who have no sin throw the first stone. The one who doesn't have sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. All right, step up right here. She's here, the law demands it. If you don't have any sin, cast the first stone. You know, we often hear this phrase. It says, hate the sin, love the sinner. Love the sinner, hate the sin. And I've probably used that phrase, and I understand where it comes from. We want to separate out what somebody does from from who they are. But I don't think that's what Jesus used in in this case. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, love the sinner, hate your sin. Hate your sin. Why are you all hating her sin so much? Our job is not to hate other people's sins. I love you, but I hate your sin. Somebody comes to me, Mark, I I hate your sin, but I love you. Well, you know, my sins, I I don't really love them either. They're part of me in some ways. I'm trying to work on those things. But but you know what? Jesus is saying, look at your own life. And then he says this phrase, right? Let the one who has no sin cast the first stone. And then what does he do? He goes back down to the ground. And I wonder if he maybe in the sand kind of made a heart that she could see because she was hunched over maybe and crying. I don't know what he said. But all of a sudden, where did everyone's attention go? The attention went off of the woman, and all of a sudden the attention was on themselves. Everyone was doing some introspection, was beginning to think, okay, where, where am I? What is, what is true for me? What's happening? It's, it's a self-assessment that is taking place. And in this moment, as they thought, I'm sure they didn't have to think very long. And it says, beginning with the oldest, they dropped their stones and left The oldest, hopefully the wisest, was quick to realize, yeah, guilty. I'm not without sin. And they dropped their stones and they left. They walked away. Because all of a sudden now the focus was on themselves and realizing that I need to do business with God where I'm at and the things that I'm struggling with, the things that I'm dealing with versus wagging my finger and pointing a finger and hating other people and their sin. I need to look at what's going on. And so they dropped their stones and they left. And then Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. So the crowd was still there looking, but the religious leaders, all those that were, that, that, that were threatening to stone her, they left. 
And isn't that exactly where Jesus needs to be? Between the ten sides, between the crowds and the public, between the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and, and where is Jesus? He's right there, comfortable in the middle of the tension. Not trying to run away from it, not trying to jump on one side of it. He's in the middle of that tension, and there he is with that woman. And he says to her, well, woman, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Isn't there even one that condemned you? And maybe she looked up sheepishly, afraid. She said, no, Lord. He says, then neither do I condemn you. And I think about this moment, and I think about this, this, this picture that we get of Jesus with this woman and that the way that he looked at this and the way that he responded to her was not with condemnation, but with conversation. He acknowledged her as an individual. He acknowledged her as a person. He acknowledged her as somebody who is dealing with an incredibly difficult issue and is in a very broken place right now, is in a very hurtful place, has been banged up, beaten, and abused. And he acknowledges her. And I can imagine him having his arm around her and saying, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. Jesus didn't condemn her. And somehow we feel as a church we need to be about condemning and pointing our finger at other people and their sin. He didn't condemn her. Scripture says God did not send a son to the world to condemn it, but to save the world. And the crazy thing is she didn't even repent. But Jesus understood and he saw her brokenness. What Jesus is doing, he's in the middle between truth and grace, and he walked this line so carefully because he understood truth is still truth. That is not the best for this woman. That is not what I have designed for. There is hurt and pain, anything outside of this circle. But yet, the healing has to come because I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to bring you along. I'm here to guide you in the right way. Jesus didn't condemn her, but you know, he didn't condone her either, did he? Because there's this little phrase at the end of what Jesus said. He says, neither do I condemn you. He says, go and sin no more. Because it's, it's not about condemning. It's not about condoning. It's about transformation. It's about watching what God does in the hearts and lives of people to bring out and bring us to the place where we are at our best where God's holiness shines through, where his light and his life brings light and life to us and to those around us. And so Jesus in this person that says he was full of grace and truth, he understood that. He understood being in the middle. How do we live in this tension? How do we engage this tension? Our, our position might not change. Where I understand, sit and where I've wrestled through scripture and really have wrestled with this going, God, I want to I get this right to the best of my abilities. And I know a church is looking to me and I know people are looking to us to say, what does God's word speak? And, 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 and to the best of my abilities and understanding and research and, and wanting to really wrestle with this, I cannot deny God's truth in this, in this way and in this area and in so many other areas. But I also cannot deny that God is telling me, deal with your own sin Help people maybe recognize in a way what they're doing by bringing them into the presence of God, but lead people to the cross. So what I think so much of the anger and the hatred around this issue is, especially towards the church, towards Christians, towards those that hold to this truth in Scripture, isn't 
only just the position. It might be the position, but it's the posture that we've had. It's the posture that we're dragging people in, guns a-blazing, stones ready to throw, and pointing toward the word of God, pointing to their sin, and then going, see, you're evil, you're awful, you're terrible, you're horrible, you're out of God's plan. Now let me love you into the kingdom of God. Jesus loves you. That's a mixed message. It is not the message of Jesus. And in this moment, I love the way Jesus handled this. He didn't shirk the truth, and yet he lavished grace. He stood to her defense. He was a protector. He was a healer. He had conversation. He acknowledged her as a person. He didn't condemn her, and yet he, he encouraged her. Now go. Sin no more. Don't go back to the thing you just did, the thing that is just bringing you pain and hurt, is not bringing fulfillment in your life. Don't go back to that. There is a better way. There is a better path for you. So here we are. We are caught in this tension. And you know what, church? You know what, people of faith? We need to get comfortable in that tension, being in that spot. And it's not a comfortable spot. And there's going to be times where we need to lean stronger on truth and times we need to lean stronger on grace, and there's no perfect way to handle this. But as we look at this and as we look at us as a church, we have to understand this is not an argument to win. As we have dealt with every one of these questions, you don't argue people through their skepticism into faith. You can have the arguments, you can have the discussions, you can kick things around, but in the end, God's Spirit needs to draw us to Him. It needs to bring transformation. It needs to reveal truth. It needs to reveal the sin in our own lives. And so as a church, we need to stand in the same place that Jesus did. Where when the accusations fly, we temper and we calm down and we bend down or maybe we just kind of calm things down. We say, wait a minute. Let's understand. Let's get to know these individuals. Whether it's this topic of homosexuality or whether it's any number of sins that are present right here in this place that took place this week among God's people. Wouldn't it be terrible if, our, if all those things just came flashing up on the screen with your name and your picture? It'd be pretty humiliating, and you know what? It's there. It's present. We need to be a church that, in this public space, in this place, says there's a broad welcome here. Every one of us. There is not an exclusion to God's kingdom from anyone. Even as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, God's path is very exclusive, but his invitation is very inclusive to everyone. And he opens that up, and, and here's the thing. Every one of these paths, for each one of us, for every person that comes through the door, if we are worth what God has called us to as a church, every single one of these paths. needs to lead us to the cross. Every single one. You cannot get to God except by going through the cross. And so if you want to avoid it and if you say, this part of my life, this area of my life is off limits to God. I've got that piece figured out and I'll follow God with everything else, but God cannot speak into my sexual identity, my sexual relations, that area of my life. You're not coming through the cross. Everything must come through the cross of Christ. And that is where we find our unity. That is where we find transformation. That is when we say, God, you are Lord and I am not. I don't get it all. I don't understand it all. There's things I don't even like about what I need to do. But God, I submit and surrender fully to you. And our job is to lead people and to lead ourselves and each other to the foot of the cross. And when God brings that transformation and when God works in our lives and reveals to us the sins that we need to deal with and get through, on the other side, we begin to find life. 
And so how do we deal with this tough issue? Well, let's look first at our own sin. Let's look at truth, let's look at grace, and know that in Jesus Christ we can hold on to both of those because life is found in truth and healing and hope is found in grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are not easy issues to deal with in a world where there's so much anger and fuel around this and contention, especially this issue. Father, we need to repent for times where we have just wagged an angry finger, raised an angry voice, a condemning spirit. And yet, God, help us not to be backed into a corner to shy away from, from just submitting ourselves to your word and to know that it leads to your best, your greatest plan for life, for relationships, for healing, for hope. And Father, may we journey together as common sinners in need of grace and forgiveness. And Father, that we would heed your words to go and, and sin no more to go on this journey, God, where our desire is to serve you and to follow you and to live for you. And God, that you would lead us into all truth. We love you. We thank you for the beautiful courage that you displayed in the story that we still hold on to. And we are just honored and privileged to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we close in worship.